Welcome to the Platform Podcast, where we talk to coaches, athletes, experts, and real people to learn about their approaches to training, nutrition, mindset, and much more. I'm your host, Jordan Kundi wright founder and head coach of the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club, and our mission is to become our best selves through sport. This episode is brought to you by Pro Kettlebell, the only competition kettlebells made right here in the USA. They're changing the game with two sizes of their patented kettlebell shape that is designed with anatomical cutaways that distribute the weight more evenly on lifters' forearms for faster snatches, crisper cleans, and more comfortable rack position on jerks. Plus, their wide base makes it more stable for push-ups, planks, and rows, and they're designed for their level-up magnetic chip weights to fit perfectly inside, allowing you to incrementally add 1-2 to two kilos to your bells so you can keep progressing safely without changing the physics on your ballistic lifts or needing to buy gap weight bells. Click the link in the episode notes or go to ProKettlebell.com to shop now. And don't forget to use code TCKB10 to get 10% off your order. In this episode, I'm going to dive in on the one thing that I think every athlete needs, why they need it, and how to make the most of it. And obviously, I'm not going to spoil it here, um, so you'll have to listen to find out, but I promise it won't be long into the episode where I reveal what it is that we're going to be talking about. But before we do, I, of course, have to tell you that I am incredibly grateful that you listen to this podcast, and if you haven't already, please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow so that you can be notified anytime a new episode drops. Leave a rating and review of the platform podcast in your app of choice and support my work by supporting our sponsors whose affiliate links you'll find in the episode notes. And of course, if you want help reaching your goals without wasting time, please fill out the coaching interest form linked in the show notes. I help athletes of all levels using my integrated coaching approach. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Twin Cities Kettlebell Club or email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. Now, let's step onto the platform to talk about the one thing that every athlete needs. Alright, welcome in to this episode of the Platform Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Cundy wright And this week, I wanted to talk to you all about something I think every athlete needs. And it's it shouldn't come as a surprise if you've if you've heard me talk about my approaches to building programs and nutrition and how I think it is very important that we act like an athlete. Um, Even a lot of people don't think of themselves as as athletes, and I think that that is problematic, and that's a topic for another conversation or another podcast. Um, But I think it's really important that we think of ourselves as athletes and we think about taking our lives in seasons and periodization. And so what I want to talk to everybody about today is the one thing every athlete needs is an off season. Now, why is that the the one thing? Well, it's not the one thing. It's the thing that I think every athlete needs that I see a lot of athletes not following through on. Um, We get, there's a tendency to think that more is better and that we are going to be able to just go, 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 go all the time without stopping, without taking time away. And I'll actually have athletes reach out to me and say, I'm really sorry. I need to take a break from kettlebell training. I need to I need to step away for a minute. I it's not you, it's me. <laughs> I just I just need a break. And to which I always kind of chuckle because like uh that's part of the plan. <laughs> um, we 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 plan for that. I don't I don't expect my athletes uh to train kettlebell sport specifically 
year round for years on end without taking any time off. It's it's almost asinine when you think of it that way. Like like when you when you say it out loud, like oh, I I just expected, you know, uh, is the expectation that you do this one activity for the rest of your life without taking any breaks. Um, I would hope <laughs> that that sounds ridiculous to you because it is kind of ridiculous to think of it that way. Um, there are multiple reasons why we want to take uh, an off season. And I'll, I'll start first with what those reasons are. So the first, and I think the primary reason is that it reduces the risk of overuse injury. Now, kettlebell sport is a cyclical sport, which means we are doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over <laughs> again <laughs> ad infinitum, right? Um, or at least as long as you can tolerate it and as long as you don't get hurt. Now, if you manage your workload appropriately and you periodize your programming in such a way um, that you have undulations and breaks and deloads uh, within your programming like you should, then the need for a full-on off-season away from the bells entirely is not analogous to an off-season. You can do an off-season program using kettlebells. But that doesn't mean that in the off-season you will be doing jerk, snatch, long cycle, clean, um, you know, and other such kettlebell sport specific movements. And the reason for that is if you have been training for, let's just say, nine months doing those movements, then you will likely need to change the movement patterns that you're doing. Now, you actually see this in uh, represented in the Russian school, or at least the St. Petersburg school. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't lump all Russian schools together because there are many different schools of thought within, uh, even within Russia, uh, of different different methodologies of, of approaching kettlebell sport training. But from the St. Petersburg school, um, which is uh, Denis Vasiliev, is probably the most the most famous, uh, at least in America, um, you know, athlete to come out of the St. Petersburg school. They typically have their athletes train in a primary discipline, uh, which is either biathlon or log cycle. And what they do is they have them typically train for about nine months of the 12 months in a year. So three of the four quarters of the year are dedicated to their primary discipline. And then their off-season is shifting from whatever their primary discipline, be it long cycle or a biathlon, and they do a three-month training block of the other discipline. So if you were a long cycle specialist who was doing a lot of long cycle over the course of nine months, um, then you would toggle to biathlon and do biathlon for three months of the year and then and then switch back. Um, there are benefits to this school, which, or, or to this school of thought, which is that um, by never putting the bells down, they never lose the sport-specific adaptation that they've gotten from um, from doing their primary discipline, you know, nine months of the year, and then switching to a secondary discipline that is still sport-specific. So they are going to stay much more uh, sport-specifically focused and sport-specifically adapted. So there's certainly benefit to that, and it still has the same primary benefit of reducing the overuse injury risk. Now. I am a big fan of triathlon training because it reduces the overuse injury risk by doing by doing those three different movements consistently. You are getting a more varied uh, a more varied approach to movement, and you're getting more more movement types in the same in the same in your regular training cycles. So. I think it actually overall reduces the, the injury risk from overuse training significantly more than if you do 
long cycle for nine months and then switch to um, biathlon for three months. Now, that's not to say that my approach is better. Obviously, I think it is, or it wouldn't be my philosophy. (laughs) I have my reasons for it, which uh, I've begun to articulate. But I can see validity to this this school of thought, right? And it's obviously worked very well um, for people. But one of the things that I don't think it accounts for is uh, that there is still a lot of carryover in the type of movement that you're doing when you switch from jerk to long cycle or long cycle to jerk, right? Like, uh, for example, right? Um, In all three movements, you are going to carry a lot of overhead volume because the sport, by definition, is fixating the bells overhead. So you're going to carry a lot of overhead uh, volume, and there's going to be a lot of shoulder requirement to do that. So if you never stop going overhead um, for an extended period of time, you can still run into over pattern overload and pattern overload injuries. Um, it's a lot less likely to happen if you're switching between the three movements regularly um, because the, the paths are slightly different. The style is slightly different. The way you get overhead is different. Um, obviously, jerk has the highest level of overhead volume associated with it. Um, long cycle would probably be second depending on how you vary your training cycles snatch um snatch can actually be higher in total volume because of the rep count um but the intensity is lower because it's only single bell right so um but also with snatch you get some transverse plane activation because you're getting a little bit more rotation because it's single bell you can rotate more um so you can get you can get a little bit of different uh movement plane vari- variability that you don't get but you're going to see that that reduced risk of, of overuse injury when you get movement variety. And so what I like to advocate for is I would say 9 to 11 months of kettlebell sport-specific training with then an off-season where we step away from the bells almost entirely. Um, I have a lot of my athletes right now in what I like to call our holiday hypertrophy season, where we are going to step away from the bells and focus on building larger, more voluminous muscles um, and focusing on those movements and focusing on the, on the, on the, uh, those movements and the types of implements that create hypertrophy response um, and moving in ways that we haven't been moving. So one of the things that you don't get very much of at all in kettlebell sport is um, side to side, right? You're, you're not going to be moving in that frontal plane very much, um, at least not horizontally, right? So like doing side to side lunges and um, doing a lot more rotational things. Um, so, rotational cleans or barbell torques is one of my favorite core exercises, right? And that's not to say that these things can't be present in your GPP for your programming while you're doing kettlebell sport. And they absolutely should be. Um, again, a topic for another co- another podcast is uh, approaches to GPP and how we think about uh, GPP programming um, to reduce in- injury risk. But in the off season, I really like to focus on giving people different implements to use, different types of movements to use, and being able to really focus on what are the what are the ways that we need to move to keep the body in balance so that we can reduce the risk of overuse injury. All right. So that's reason number one why every athlete needs an off-season. It reduces the risk of overuse injury by ideally changing the types of movements that you are doing for an extended period of time. Number two, and why I, why I emphasize stepping away from the bells in the offseason, whereas the, the Russian St. Petersburg school does not, um, is that I think stepping away from the bells and taking an offseason reduces the likelihood of mental burnout. This sport is mentally challenging. In my opinion, it is the hardest sport I have ever done. And... 
a lot of that is the mental grind of you work sometimes for months to gain a couple of reps. And that's early on in your journey. You might work for six months and go up 10 reps. But as you get closer and closer to your cap or to your, your athletic uh, potential, you might work for a year to get two reps. Or you might work for even multiple years to, to be able to go from uh, CMS to Master of Sport or rank one to CMS. And the difference between CMS and Master of Sport might only be a handful of reps. Right. I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and you'll probably, you know, you see it if you follow kettlebell sport athletes on social media, you see the people that are like, oh, my God, I have been working so hard for two years to get the three reps that put me over the hump. The last time I got rank one, I was at, you know, X number of reps and I've been working for two years and I finally added the three reps necessary and, and was able to do it on the platform in competition and finally got CMS or finally got master of sport because the closer you get to your ceiling, um, the longer it takes to get, to get that adaptation or to, to, to move a little bit further down the line. And that can be very mentally draining right again you're doing the same things over and over and over again it can get boring it can get it can get tiresome right like it's hard to just keep doing the same things over and over again especially if you're not seeing progress that you want to see and you can really you can really wear yourself down and i've seen so many people i mean i've been doing this sport now um yeah, I got, I, I was just doing the math the other day. I got, I got, I got my personal training certification in like 2008. I got my, I got my first kettlebell sports certification in 2010 or 2009. And then my next, and then my first kettlebell certification in 2009. And then my next, my kettlebell sports certifications in 2010. So for 13, 14 years, I've been, I've been, you know, focused on this, on this sport and been around this sport. And I've seen so many people come into this sport with a with a vengeance and they just like balls to the wall and they hammer it and hammer it and hammer it and they're doing awesome and you'll see people they'll come in and they'll they'll perform at a really high level for like two three years and then they just poof they're gone <laughs> like a ghost <laughs> and you're like oh what what happened to what happened to so and so I won't name names because I don't want to throw anybody under the bus or feel like I'm calling them out. Like it's totally fine to, to move on to other activities, right? Like this is my thing. It doesn't have to be your thing. It can be a thing that you did. And then you decided you want to move on to another thing. That's totally fine. Totally respectable, right? Like it's your life. You do you boo boo, right? Have fun, make it work for you. Make it something that you really, uh, in, enjoy doing. But, um, for, for those of us who, want to keep going at this for a long period of time, I think it's really important that you take an, take an off season. And I think the people that do take an off season are much more likely to keep going and stick with this in the, for the long haul um, than people who don't. Right. And, and it just, it just makes, it just makes so much sense to me. Like there's a reason professional athletes at the end of their chosen sport take time away from their sport immediately following the championship or, you know, if you were so fortunate to go deep into your playoffs and make the championship round and win the championship, right? You might have a very long season. Like if you're thinking about a football team, an NFL football team, since it's football season right now, um, you're talking an 18 week regular season and then another four weeks of, playoffs and that actually gets stretched out into into several because of bye weeks and you know things like that if you actually win the Super Bowl um, you don't finish until February right so that is a very long season and it takes a lot out of you mentally it's a lot of preparation it's a lot of focus and so people need time to step away and regain some mental clarity some mental space right think about hockey it's also hockey season right now and i'm a big hockey fan and a lot of you know that right it's an 82 game season in the regular season it, it lasts many 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 months right and at the end of that there's then a 
couple of months of playoffs. So if you make a deep playoff run and win the Stanley Cup, um, you know, you can have been playing hockey for 10 months straight, um, you know, and, and that that takes a lot out of your body, right? And that takes a lot out of you mentally. So the need for a, a time to step away is very important mentally, reducing the likelihood of burnout. So if, if it's been, you know, multiple years since you have stepped away from kettlebell sport or stepped away from any particular discipline, I think you really need to look at when's the last time I took an actual off season because the pros take an off season. They step away from their chosen discipline to really make sure that they have time to refocus. And so that when they do come back, they're excited to get back to it. Right. Anytime you've been forced to step away from the bells, like I was when I had my shoulder surgery, um, I was incredibly excited to get back to the bells because I'd been away from them long enough. And that's part of the reason that I know that this sport is for me and why I love it. Um, knowing, knowing that when I have to take a break, um, that I can't wait to get back to it. Right. So don't ever let yourself get to the point where you aren't sure you want to come back to it. Right. Step away and take plan breaks into your training schedule so that you don't get that burnout. Right. And that can be deloads too, built into your program. Right. You shouldn't just be hammering all the time. Right. There can be breaks between your training cycles. You can do now those aren't technically an off season phase. We actually call that in, in my pro in, at least in my program, and we call those recovery phases. So you might have done a six week a six week prep cycle I'm sorry, a six-month prep cycle to get ready for a, comp- a competition. You do your competition. And then for a lot of my athletes, I have them step away for two weeks after their competition, right? And that's as much as anything to recover physically. But it can also be very useful mentally because you, hopefully you've prepped really hard and you pushed hard and then you went out and competed really hard and it might be mentally tired. So step away from the bells for a week or two, right? That's a, a recovery period. And off-season can be a much longer period. Now the duration of the duration of the off season is going to depend on uh, the nature and length of your competitive season. So in the, in the hockey example I gave, right, if you have an 82 game competitive season um, and you make the playoffs and you go deep into the playoffs and then you have to start the regular season again, you might not get as long of an off season as maybe even you want or need. Um, but that is the nature of being successful in a, in a, in a sport that has a long season. But when you're a kettlebell sport athlete who is choosing what competitions you compete at, how frequently you compete, right? The good and bad of COVID is that now there are so many competitions and there are so many online competitions, competitions that you can that you can just submit a video for, which I love, by the way. I think that's awesome. Um, that you could honestly like compete almost every week of the year if you wanted to. You could just compete and compete and compete and compete. Now I don't recommend doing that, obviously, but you could if you wanted to. I think it's super important that you think about how long do you want your competitive season to be? Where do you want to peak? looking at what competitions matter the most to you and picking, I would say at most four in a, in a single year um, that you're going to compete at and compete with the intent of doing your best. Now you compete more, you can compete more regularly than that as part of your program design to get you more competitive sets and to get time under tension in competition setting. But with the understanding that at a given competition, you might be going for the full 10 minutes, but you're not going for the full 10 minutes at your highest pace, at your highest weight, expecting to perform your best, right? Like I've seen plenty of high level lifters come show up, compete. And it's part of their training cycle where they're like, Oh, this, this is eight weeks out from the competition they want to peak at. So they come compete and they are having a great set and set the bells down at seven minutes, right? Not because they're in any distress, not because they're doing badly um, or because, you know, not because they couldn't go any longer, but just because that was the plan. (laughs) They were there as part of their training cycle um, doing a competition, but they don't go the full 10 minutes or they're testing to see how long can I hold this higher pace that I'm, uh, 
looking to be able to sustain at my peak, how long can I sustain that, that, uh, that pacing right now? Right. So you'll see examples of that where people will compete more frequently, but as part of their planned, as part of their planned training cycle. So depending on, on how long your season is going to be and what you focus on for your competitions, you should then have a plan for recovery periods after those competitions. Um, and you should have a plan for after the peak of your, after the peak of your, your season, you've done a competitive season, um, you should have a, an off-season phase that you plan. And it can vary in duration from, I would say, at minimum four weeks and at maximum 12 weeks, right? Because if, if you take more than three months away from your chosen implement, um, you're, you're probably not in an off-season anymore. Now you're kind of uh, starting to lose some of your sport-specific adaptation in a way that's going to take longer to recover from it. So um, generally, I would, I would try and say that your off-season should probably be a month to, to three months. That's, that would be the range that I would generally prescribe. There could be exceptions to that. If you've been, if you've been competing nonstop for five years at a very high level or something, you want to take six months and do nothing but barbell training or, you know, other types of, of strength training, other types of conditioning work, whatever, other athletic endeavors. Somebody that's worked that long consistently um, might might justify having an off season of that duration, but in general, I think the best approach from for a long term sustainable cadence is nine nine to eleven nine to eleven months on, um, and one month to three months off, right? And so the the third the third reason every athlete needs an off season. And I've kind of been alluding to it as we talked about it, is it allows you time to focus on improving, right? And, and what I mean by improving um, is kind of in three dimensions. It, it allows you a, a, a chance to increase your foundational fitness, um, like just the wider the base, the higher the peak can be. And so you might need time away from, uh, you know, a, a sport-specific training modality to just work on your overall G what we would call GPP um, general physical preparedness in the kettlebell sport world, but just foundational fitness working on building a wider base, you know, so using myself as an example um, right now, the, the wider foundation that I need is just aerobic aerobic conditioning and restoring some of the functional foundational strength, like the ability to squat, deadlift, uh, do pull-ups, do, you know, those types of things, like just foundational strength. I need to focus more on those because I've been too either hyper-focused on kettlebell sports-specific stuff because I just love doing it, so it's really easy for me to get that strength training in, but I haven't been as dedicated about doing my other foundational fitness um, and I'm certainly not nearly as dedicated doing my cardio because I don't really like long, slow cardio, but it is what I need to do to get better at the sport. So this off season, my focus can be on foundational fitness, building a wider base so I can have a higher peak. Another, another dimension that you can focus on improving is um, increasing your athleticism. Um, so this is different than this is different than uh, just baseline foundational fitness because we're not just like talking about cardio and mobility. We're talking about like rate of force production, so speed, explosive power, things that are going to require a higher intensity style of training um, that might require like if some if if I was looking at somebody, one of my athletes, and I thought that one of their weaknesses uh, in their game is is power, for example. Well, we can do some power work in kettlebell sport, but one of the best ways you can improve power output is Olympic weightlifting. So I might move them to some barbell-specific training where we're going to focus on moving that bar quickly and really working on our explosiveness. And you can think about plyometric work like box jumps, bounding, sprinting. Those types of things are really good ways to work on your power output. How quickly can you produce high levels of force? right? That is a different style of training. And it's something, it's a physical attribute that is required for kettlebell sport, but we don't want to be power athletes in kettlebell sport because 
power output requires a high level of of glycolytic energy to be used, and it creates a lot of lactate. Now, you can't do it for a long time. Go back and listen to my Energy Systems 101 talk. You can hear a little bit more about the, the specifics of that. But if you need to work on your power output, that is a style of training that you can design for and that you can really focus on for a set period of time right and so that's just one example is is power output for other for other athletes it might be um, strength it might be baseline strength Um, and that can that can really look a lot like a strength block or a hypertrophy block hypertrophy and strength are correlated but not the same thing Um, hypertrophy is generally the size of the muscles and strength is the ability of them of those muscles to move weight at maximal at maximal output typically we we order those things um we would want to do hypertrophy training first because you're going to get stronger while you build bigger muscles but then you want to be able to once you've reached the muscle mass that you uh, want to have um, you don't necessarily want to get bigger especially in kettlebell sport you might want to uh, just get those muscles that you have stronger at being able to push more weight without gaining size so fine line there, but um, that's another focus that you can have um, in, in the off season. So another another aspect might be technical skills, right? Um, so this can be a way that you look at your off season separately from your in season training, where you're still you're still doing your sport, but you're focusing on certain technical aspects of your sport. So, where in in your training season, in your competition season, if you're a long cyclist, you might really be focused on doing a lot of long cycle, and then in the process of doing your long cycle, um, you might realize that the weak spot in your long cycle output is really your jerk under squat, right? So you might really do a lot of drilling on under squat, your second dip, right? Um, or it might be that you realize that your cleans need a lot of work, right? So you could do an off season where you're not going overhead at all, right? As part of your off season approach um, where you, you decide, you know, I want to focus on getting better on my cleans, but I, my shoulders need a break from going overhead so much. Um, so I'm just going to focus on my cleans, right? That can be another another way that you can focus your off-season on improving, right? So there's kind of two philosophies on how we think about uh, on how we think about where should I focus on improving. There are the coaches that think that you should really lean into your strengths and really just focus your focus on getting better at what you're already good at, becoming the best at what you're already good at. Um, and then there are people that think that you should really use the off season to focus on addressing weaknesses and really focus on improving in the areas that you need to improve at. I'm more of the second philosophy because I think that kettlebell sport in particular demands a really well-rounded athlete. And it is incredibly challenging to keep all of those dimensions of fitness, um, developed, honed, and working together um, cumulatively to, to, to really make you the best all-around athlete that you can be. So this is, this is what Steve Gordon and I are working on, you know, called the, the Full Stack Athlete Project. So I'll take a, a, a little break, and I'm going to come back and talk more about how you should approach the offseason. This episode is brought to you by Pro Kettlebell, the only competition kettlebell made in the USA. They're changing the game with two sizes of their patented kettlebell shape that is designed with anatomical cutaways that distribute the weight more evenly on lifter's forearm for faster snatches, crisper cleans, and more comfortable rack position on jerks. Plus, their wide base makes it more stable for push-ups, planks, and rows. And... They're also designed for their level-up magnetic chip weights to fit perfectly inside, allowing you to incrementally add one or two kilos to your bells so that you can keep progressing safely without changing the physics on your ballistic lifts and saving a ton of space in your garage. Click the link in the episode notes or go to prokettlebell.com to shop now. And don't forget to use code TCKB10 to get 
10% off your order. Okay, so how should you approach your off-season? Hopefully I've established why I think you need an off-season and in a compelling way. Now, what do you do to approach your off-season um, the, the, the right way? Well, I think step one is assessing your strengths and weaknesses. And I'm, and I'm talking not just physical, um, but most of these are going to be are going to be physiological because those are very objective and easy to measure. So, number one is body composition. Are you over fat, too skinny? Um, are you competing at the right weight class? Right? Is is the weight class that you're in the best weight class for you? Um, because for some people, if they just lost ten pounds, they would be a more effective athlete. They'd be better. They, they, they would see their ability to move weight stay relatively the same, but the number, the number of reps that they need to get go down to achieve a certain rank, or um, that they would see that their ability to maintain pacing um, significantly improves if they improve their body composition. So that's, that's one area. You know, are you at the right body composition? Um, assess your max strength. And I talked about this a little bit before. Max strength is how much can you move in a one rep you know, one to the one to three rep range, right? It, uh, how maximally strong are you? And it, that is an important uh, that is an important dimension. Kettlebell sport is a strength endurance sport, so you're certainly not going to be focused on max strength. But having max strength is still very very valuable in this sport. You're not going to be trying to have a 700 pound deadlift, but you know if you've seen, uh, you know, guys like Ivan Denisov, you know, go deadlift or squat like they can still squat a lot of weight. Their, their max power is still very, very high because they have trained strength in general um, to such a high level that the carryover is very strong. And there is value to getting just maximally stronger. Um, explosive power, I talked about that as well. So the ability to generate force quickly, maximal force as quickly as possible is the definition of power, right? So the, the higher the force output in the shortest duration of time are the most powerful athletes. That's the definition of power. Now, strength endurance is being able to maintain that. What's the rate of degradation from your maximum strength and how does that decay over time? This is one area that strong men are really, really good at. Um, they're, they're not generally considered endurance athletes, but I guarantee you if you go try and do strongman, um, the overall volume and the ability to stay strong over time and put up a lot of reps um, over the course of several events is strength endurance, right? And that is a really, really valuable asset to have in strength sports, obviously, but in kettlebell sport especially, um, because it is an endurance event. Um, separately, but correlated, is cardio endurance, right? And as most people are probably familiar with, that is your ability to continue going for an extended period of time. This is typically sub-maximal. How long can you just go and stay at an exercise intensity for extended periods of time. Um, we are endurance athletes by definition in this sport, which I wish somebody would have told me at the start. Uh, I really thought it was a strength, just like a strength sport. Um, but yeah, uh, I'd probably still be here. <laughs> but I thought it would be easier uh, than, than it is to develop that, that capacity. But yeah, cardio endurance, how long can you go? at submaximal effort and uh, the, the rate of decay of your body's ability to turn over oxygen and really process energy is, uh, is cardio endurance. Uh, agility is the ability to change directions and move quickly side to side or front to back or you know in, in various planes of motion. Not as much direct carryover in kettlebell sport, um, but being an agile athlete is very, very valuable. So um, something you might want to incorporate in your training, even though it doesn't have direct 
carry over directly to kettlebell sport. But if you do other things like play basketball, racquetball, pickleball, tennis, skiing, snowboarding, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, football, rugby, hockey, uh, agility is a very valuable sport. So any field sports, um, agility is a very, very valuable asset. So, um, might be something you want to consider training in your off season, but something you can assess to see where, where do you need to address strengths and weaknesses in the off season. And this list is actually intended to be, um, sport agnostic, <laughs> right? So you can look at this, this list of items and there are 12 items on here. Um, you can look at the, this list of 12 items and, and decide which of them, you know, are most important for your sport. And then, assess where you're where you're at on them and decide what your focus should be in the off season. Um, <clears throat> I said I said cardio endurance, I said agility, speed is number 7. Um, so speed is how fast can you move? What's your top end? Um, how quickly can you get up to speed? That's acceleration technically, so I guess I should have put acceleration and speed. Acceleration usually correlates to power. Um, Again, power output is the ability to generate maximal force in the shortest amount of, amount of time. Acceleration is, is similar. How quickly can you get your body up to its maximal speed? Now, there are some people that are just have a higher top end. They're just really, really fast, um, but it might take them to get longer to, to get up to speed. I think like somebody like Derrick Henry in the NFL, if you're familiar with football, is a good example. The guy is a monster. He's six foot four, 255 pounds, and runs a 4.540. Um, but his acceleration, his 10 yard split, was not the greatest because it takes him a little while to get that much mass moving. But he has a much higher top end than even small than even running backs who are smaller than him, um, who can't move as fast as he can. So that's speed, right? Speed and acceleration. Again, depending on the sports that you play, how important speed is um, will will vary, and how much work you want to do on speed training is going to vary. But speed training has carryover into power, right? Like like I was just talking about. Uh, number eight is muscular flexibility. So you'll hear people talk about flexibility, uh, and what does that mean? That means your body's ability to get to its full ranges of motions um, with, and be able to express power from end ranges and the normal ranges. So there is a, there is a range of motion that every joint and muscle have, and the ability to express and control muscle contraction at the end ranges is kind of the definition of flexibility. Now, people that are very flexible have much wider ranges of motion. So I like to, exp I like to use the analogy of, of your, your flexibility is kind of like a bubble. <laughs> and it's maybe a little bit mal-shaped mal or oddly shaped. Like some people are really flexible in their hamstrings, but not flexible in their quads or vice versa. Or, you know, if you've ever seen somebody that like is a good athlete, yet they can barely bend over and touch their toes. And you're like, man, they're just like, they look like they're wound tight. Well, that's because their muscles are probably inflexible, and that inflexibility might correlate to a high level of power output, um, but it probably also in, in indicates a likelihood of, of soft tissue injury, like hamstring pulls or quad pulls or calf strains or chest pec strains, right? Somebody that, that doesn't have the ability to express their power in their full range of motion um, has low muscular flexibility, um, is much more likely to sustain soft tissue injuries, right? So muscular flexibility is, is number eight. And then number nine is joint mobility and stability. And I'm, I'm grouping some of these into in, in together rather than bulleting them out because you don't train, you don't train joint mobility and stability really separately. You kind of train, you train a joint when you're working on the mobility of a joint, you kind of work on it um, holistically. So you're working on what are the acceptable ranges of motion? How can I safely expand those? And how can I also make sure that the joint is stable within those, within those, uh, those ranges of motion? So kettlebell jerk is a really good example for this when you look about mobility and stability, right? The ability to get into a good overhead fixation uh, position requires that you have the ability to have 
spinal T-spine, thoracic spine, um, flexion and extension. You need to be able to flex your T-spine forward in the first dip and in the launch phase, and then you need to be able to go into extension in the overhead phase so that you can get your, you can have your shoulders stacked and be in a nice stable position. So that mobility of the thoracic spine to be able to express its range of motion is really important. Um, so you might need to be able to set your shoulders back when you're overhead and roll forward when you're in when you're in the first dip, right? So that mobility is really important. The stability that then is comes into the upstream joint is the shoulders, right? So sometimes people lack stability in their shoulders, even if they have a mobile T-spine, and sometimes they lack the T-spine mobility to get their shoulders into a position that allows them to stabilize the bells overhead, right? So when somebody is uh, let's say I'm having a hard time fixating these bells overhead. I feel wobbly overhead. That's where we as coaches are going to assess, okay, is this a T-spine mobility stability problem or is this a shoulder stability problem? Like for me, for example, right, the overhead stability could simply be an issue of old joint injuries, like having both of my shoulders surgically reconstructed. I might need to do more joint stability work like isometric holds or strengthening movements or range of motion drills to be able to allow that joint to work through its full range of motion, which is the mobility piece, and then being able to stabilize in the positions that I want it to. So joint stability and joint mobility tend to go hand in hand and joints work hand in hand together throughout the kinetic chain to be able to allow things to happen and the muscular flexibility the muscles that attach to those joints and connect throughout the chain are also important so honestly number eight and nine are really hard to separate out that's why you tend to hear people talk about flexibility and mobility almost analogous analogously they are different things but they're kind of hand in glove right so assessing what is your muscular flexibility what is your joint mobility and your joint stability are uh, are other aspects then I would say another aspect you can you can assess is core strength and stability. Again, similar but not the same thing. Core strength is obviously how strong is your core. How stable your core is is how how able to maintain a proper position, right? If you're if you have a really strong core and you can flex your you can flex your core really well and stabilize your spine, you might be capable of a really powerful high power output like like on a squat or a deadlift. But if you can only do like powerlifters, right? If you're only asked to do one rep, um, the ability to hold that position and and be stable for long periods of time um, might be different, right? So Core strength, core stability, two different kind of, two different but but very important and related uh, capabilities. So you'd want to assess what is your core strength and stability. That's another that's another area that you can that you can train. Uh, and then sport specific skills, which I talked about a little bit before, so I won't belabor that. That's another that's another area you should assess. Uh, and then last but not least, and another area that I talked about is mental toughness. And anybody that's listened to this podcast knows that I'm really big on mental training. I think mental toughness is really, really important. And I think that it is something that you can focus on in the off season. If you realize that it's a weakness for you, you can intentionally put yourself into stressing situations and really try and focus on building mental resilience. Um, you know, and this is something that Steve Gordon has, has actually multiple frameworks on or, or, or areas that he, he looks at. And um, I, I'm going to have him on. We're going to talk about that. But um, mental toughness is another area. So the, the areas that you should assess, body composition, max strength, explosive power, strength endurance, cardio endurance, agility, speed, flexibility, mm. joint mobility and stability, core strength and stability, sport specific skills and mental toughness that's the that's the dirty dozen there of of things that you should assess as you assess those you'll measure your baselines right so you'll want to see where did i start my off-season program once you've decided um you know which of these areas you kind of self-assess are your strongest and uh, strongest and weakest at then we measure baselines and see where am i starting from in these areas and then you can decide on the duration and intensity of your off-season phase. We we talked about this earlier um, 
off-season training programs should vary based on an athlete's age, sport, level, personal needs, the length of their, their season, um, right? It, it's, it's a crucial time to give athletes a break from the demands of their sport and include a balance of activities and um, just making sure that you're taking into account a holistic view of the athlete as a human being <laughs> that exists not just for the purpose of their sport. Um, and we as athletes can sometimes forget that our, uh, our sport is only one part of being a full-stack human. We don't just want to be a full-stack athlete. We want to be full-stack humans. Um, so focusing uh, on your sport too much can lead to deficiencies in other areas of your life. So it's important that we take that into account as well when we're thinking about um, your off-season phase. So really think about what's the duration and intensity of your off-season phase. Um, you don't want your off-season phase to be so intense that it compromises other areas of your life. But also, if you're like in the sweet spot of your career where this is like when you're young and fit and healthy and unmarried and no kids and all of those things, well, maybe this is the time that you really want to focus super intensely on achieving at your highest level or you know, if you're a really high level athlete and you've got a chance um, to qualify for the Olympics, for example, your window is very, very small because it only comes around every four years and most people only qualify for one Olympics. Some people like, you know, are freaks and they qualify for multiple, but for most people, they only qualify once, maybe twice, right? So if you're in that window, then it might be time that your duration and intensity of your off season is uh, a little bit longer or a little bit higher um, depending on, on the needs, right? So that helps you then decide on your areas of focus. You set your goals within those areas because I gave you 12 dimensions. You're, I can tell you right now, you're not going to be able to improve across all 12 dimensions. You need to pick some areas of focus. And you might only pick one, two, or at most, I would say three to five. And that's going to be something you work with uh, your coach on. But you can't, you can't focus on all of those areas at once. This is where you need to set your focus and decide based on what I'm already good at and where I'm deficient at, where do I want to focus my energies, right? And that, that should be um, something that you work with your coach on because that's why I think everyone should have a coach, <laughs> you know, especially if you have the luxury of having a coach, you, you, you definitely should. Um, coaches have coaches for this reason because it helps to have another set of eyes. It helps to have somebody tell you, um, you know, this is – this is where I think you should focus. And either it can be, this is where you should focus because you fucking suck at this. Or um, this is where I focus because you're just better than everyone else at this. And, and the more we can raise that delta, the, the, the more you're going to exceed, right? You're going to excel, right? So work with your coach, set goals. Then from there, you build your training program, right? And a typical sequence um, might be, hypertrophy. So we'll say if, if you're somebody that's training in kettlebell sport, but needs to take an off season, um, the way that a lot of times I, I structure an off season program is we'll do a hypertrophy block. Then we'll do a strength block. Then we'll do a power phase, then an endurance phase, and then it's into the preseason. Right. So if that was, and that for is for example of a three month, uh, off season, right. Where we're going to do a four week hypertrophy, a four week strength block, and then a power slash endurance, like we might do two weeks of power and then two weeks of endurance work. And then we're ready to start going into our preseason where we start focus, we start shifting back and focusing more on kettlebell sport. Now, for somebody like me, I don't need a hypertrophy phase. I'm already 270-ish pounds, 280-ish pounds, depending on the day, right? I, I carry more mass than I need, um, so a hypertrophy phase might not be called for for me. It might be time for a cut. It might be a conditioning block like or an endurance block. So your training program should start with what is your highest priority. That should be your first focus, right? So if it's building endurance or building conditioning, you should start with a conditioning block and then everything should fall out from that, right? And you might only have one focus in your off-season program, right? You might do a 12-week or a three-month conditioning block. Now, it should be periodized within that, right? Like I have athletes that are doing a 12-week hypertrophy program, right? And the rest of those pieces will, will transition into the rest of those phases as part of their kettlebell sport transition as we transition back to preseason we're getting ready for the preseason right but 
it's really important that you think about that and you, you align that to what your goals are and what you've decided your priorities are for your off season. And then you need to then align your nutrition to your, to support your goals. I can't, I can't, uh, I can't emphasize this point enough. Um, and a quick plug, I, I am doing a nutrition uh, for an athlete uh, podcast or, uh, I guess it's a live training in the, in Kim Fox's kettlebell almanac group. So if you're on Facebook, go look at the, the kettlebell sport almanac group. Um, I'm doing a, I'm doing a nutrition one-on-one for how to think about sports nutrition and aligning it with your goals, um, for kettlebell sport athletes. Um, I think that's December 30th. Um, but confirm, go check, go check in Kim Fox's Facebook group, but it's really important that you align your nutrition to support your goals. I'll give you just the, uh, uh, the quick and dirty example, right? Again, I'll use myself as a guinea pig, right? Like, uh, I said, I need to focus on my conditioning and I need to focus on my endurance. Well, if I'm, (laughs) if I'm not eating, uh, to support that, that goal, I'm not going to have nearly as much benefit as, if I do eat to support that. So for me, that might look like needing to eat less because my endurance shocking will be better. If I weigh less, the less mass that I have to move, uh, the longer I'll be able to go pretty intuitive, right? Now, if I came into this off season and I was like, I need to gain 10 pounds of muscle. Well, then I need to eat in a surplus, right? I need to eat in a caloric surplus in order to support adding 10 pounds of muscle, right? So if I had a hypertrophy goal, I need to be in a surplus. Mm-hmm. If I have improving improving in endurance goal that correlates with a reduction in body weight goal, right? Then I need to eat in a deficit. If you aren't looking to neither gain nor lose weight, then there's a different, you know, there's different calculations then of how do we split macros and how do we do some of those things? And that's what the point of the talk is going to be. We'll talk about how we apply some of those, those, those pieces of context to give you more nuance to allow you to make those decisions about how do you align your nutrition with your goals. But in order to align your nutrition with your goals, you need to know what your goals are and you need to have a plan to get those goals accomplished, right? So if this sounds like a lot, it's because it is. It's a lot to think about. That's why I am a coach. That's why I have a coach, right? It's because these things are a lot to think about. Um, And then the last step is um, reassess from for delta from baseline so delta is just you know fancy term for how much have we changed how much progress have we made have we you know if we set the goal of i want to improve my cardiovascular fitness great then you should have some type of a cardiovascular fitness assessment that you did at the start um you know like a 12 minute military snatch test where you switch hands every minute on the minute and you can see what is your heart rate uh, at the start, your max heart rate in the in the in the 12 minutes. How many reps did you get done? And then what was your heart rate one minute after and two minutes after you put the bells down? That will give you an idea of average average heart rate, max heart rate, heart rate recovery. Um, so then you'll have a very good multiple data points to assess how much did I progress those those objective measures of fitness um, in that 12 week focus or whatever your duration ends up being. Right. And you can do that. You can do that reassessment, you know, like every month be like, it's a 12 week, it's a 12 week block to focus on my endurance. Okay. I'm going to do this baseline assessment at the start. I'm going to reassess at the end of month one, going to reassess at the end of month two, going to reassess at the end of the block. And we'll be able to see how much progress am I making. Right. And that should a help keep you motivated and accountable and B give you objective measures that the program that you're doing is working. All of those things are very, very important. They tie to your motivation. They tie to your ability to keep going. Um, and if you're like me, you love the data. It makes you feel warm and fuzzy to know that what you're doing is working. And if it's not working, we can learn from that and do a different approach next time. We either win or we learn. We never lose. And with that, I will see you next time on the Platform Podcast. Please hit me up if you have questions. Go sign up for the nutrition seminar um, in the Kettlebell Sport Almanac group, and I will see you all next time.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Platform Podcast. We'll be back with a new episode soon. Please be sure to leave a rating and review of the Platform Podcast in your app of choice. Support our work by supporting our affiliates. And of course, if you have questions or you want help reaching your goals, reach out to me. Until next time, thanks for listening.